0: they are gifted. There's no doubt about that. And they have found ways to share their gifts. And not everybody's gifted in the same way. We could probably pull four people up here, and it might not quite sound the same way. I won't pick out any names. But That It's just God has gifted us differently. We're all all shaped differently, and and we have different gifts and different passions and different experiences that we bring in. And we've been talking over the course of the last few weeks about serving, and we've been in the midst of this I Serve series. And basically, we've done this because we want people to understand, especially the members of this congregation, people are connected to the body of Christ, that serving others is not an optional thing in your life. Serving others is essential to fulfilling the call of Christ in your life. Now, it's true God doesn't make us all the same. You have different gifts and personality than the person who's sitting across from you. You have different experiences. You have different passions, different skill sets. God did this on purpose. If you've ever seen the variety in God's creation, if you ever take a moment to walk out and just see the vast variety in God's imagination, it helps to understand why when he created the body of Christ, he did so with such variety, with such a, a dis- different, different gifts and different talents and different styles that all come together. And it's when we bring that distinctiveness together under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and begin to act as one body, unified in purpose, it's then that we bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ in his church and in our community. When the world sees us not acting as free agents, but as acting under the leadership of the Holy Spirit as the body of Christ, they look at us and go, there's something different about them. And I need to know what it is. We make a difference when we serve together. Now, we looked, if you'll remember, at the example of Jesus Christ. And if you'll remember, the, the story that we chose to, to emphasize was as he knelt and washed the feet of his disciples. Here it is, the king of heaven, the savior of the world, taking on this menial job of washing the dirty feet of disciples of his disciples, a job that no one else around the table was willing to do. We too are to express our love and our service towards others following the example of Jesus in the world. And when we do that, when we do that, we show them our faith is real. We put feet and hands to our words. We show people that it's real. I'm not just in a cocoon with me and God's grace. But God's grace is to extend throughout every aspect of my life as I touch and interact with friends and and co-workers and fellow students and whomever it is. That my life is to connect with their life and the grace of God is to spill over into their lives. And we said last week as we do this and we begin to serve people and, and show people a genuine expression of the body of Christ in the world. When we do that, we begin to build bridges. We gain credibility. So that when we go and share the gospel with them, they can take it and understand that it's made a difference in our lives. And it can make a difference in their lives. Now look out uh, among this congregation, I see that there are a handful of people who, like me, are follically challenged. There, Some have lost a little bit more hair than I have. Mine's getting pretty thin up top, you know. I, hate, I look in the mirror, and I feel okay about myself, and then I get to see pictures from different angles, and I recognize that I've got a whole lot less hair than I thought. In so, front the mirror, it looks okay, but, you know, it's all face and forehead, but then when I, I start seeing from behind and from the side, I'm going, wow, that's, that's a lot less hair. Now, that's my situation. Some of you are worse off. That's my situation. <laughs> But if I were to come to your door selling some re- product to restore hair growth, some, something that makes Rogaine look like butter, and the—I mean, it was the thing, and I came and I gave you the greatest sales pitch in the world and said, this will put hair on your head. You will have as full a head of hair as Wayne Hurst has. And you take one look at me, and you close the door. Why? Because I have no credibility. If I had a head full of hair, I'd have credibility. But coming to you the way I look, trying to sell hair growth serum, it's not going to go very far. Can you imagine the people in the world who, wanted, who we are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them, and they take a look at our lives and at our churches, and they close the door. There's no credibility there. Let me see it. Let me see your love in action. Let me see the grace of God in action. Let me see lives changed and families restored. Then, then maybe I'll listen. Maybe I'll hear the good news that you say you have to share. It's important that we do this. Folks, we do not want to belittle at all our role of reaching outside the church. But you know what? It's also important. It's also important Not only that we serve outside the walls of this church, but that we serve one another. Why do I think that's important? Because over 60 times in the New Testament, we find one another verses. But we have a role to serve outside the church. We have a role to serve in the body of Christ. Over 61 another verses in the New Testament tells me one thing, that it's important how we respond to one another. That that is just as important for our testimony, how we respond to one another, as how we respond outside the walls of the church. This is the way Jesus put it in John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. By this, this is is how people are going to know that you belong to me. If you love one another. Now, again, we're not belittling or pushing aside our responsibility to be salt and light. We talked about that last week. That is our responsibility. We will not shirk that under any circumstances. But we have got to take seriously our one another relationships in the body of Christ, that we encourage one another, that we love one another, that we, uh, that we uh, help one another, that we challenge one another. We've got to take those relationships seriously Because God's word takes it seriously and because the world looks at us and if they cannot see that we love and care for one another why in the world are they going to want to respond and say listen can you tell me what you've got because I want some of it and so this morning I want us to take a few minutes to look at a passage of scripture in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 it's the first eight verses verses one through eight. And as we look at that this morning, this is one of those powerful portions of Scripture that help us to understand what it means to be in the body of Christ and to respond, to serve one another. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Father, help us to understand this word as we read it. Help it to penetrate more than surface deep. And let your word change us from the inside out. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. As we prepare to read, amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, then let him govern diligently. And if it's showing mercy... Let him do it cheerfully. We could spend a month on these verses, but I'd like to highlight a few of the the big points here, I guess I could say. A few of the things that really jump out at me as I read this portion of Scripture and think about our relationships in the body of Christ as we serve one another. And the first is this, to serve one another effectively We must see ourselves as living sacrifices. Now, that's not typically what we think of when we think of sacrifices. If we are kind of getting the biblical imagery of sacrifices, then usually our image of sacrifices is dead. Now, this is not the most pleasant experience, but this is the way it happened. If you were back in the Old Testament time and you had an animal to sacrifice, it could be a dove. It could be a sheep. It could be a ram. It could be be a bull. You bring your animal to be sacrificed. Your animal, when it shows up, is alive and well and absolutely clueless as to what's going to happen. But you bring the best that you have. You bring the first fruits of what you have, the firstborn of your livestock, and you bring it to the Lord. And what would happen is the throat would be slit. The blood would be drained. The animal would be cut and placed upon the altar. And then the heat would be applied and consume that offering. A burnt offering, dead, absolutely dead. And so as Paul is trying to introduce these terms to people, he's, he's actually taking what they know and turning it a bit. Present your bodies not as dead sacrifices. Don't go crawl up on an altar and, and have the heat applied. Instead, be a living Sacrifice. Now, what's the difference between a a dead sacrifice and a living sacrifice? A living sacrifice is dead to self, but alive to Christ. Galatians 2.20 probably puts it best. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me think about this gave himself for me sacrificed because he loved me sacrificed himself and so now my response is to live as a living sacrifice let me add one other thing here because I think it's important and as I was going back through this yesterday it kind of dawned on me it says offer your bodies as living sacrifices what does that mean That means that we need to be actively engaged in this. I don't know if you've ever had to move. Maybe you're you're, you're planning a move in a week or two. You've got a U-Haul truck. You need to load some things up. But if you're going to load some things up, you kind of need some people to help you out. So you call a buddy and you say, hey, listen, uh, I'll be be moving in a couple of weeks. I've got the U-Haul plan to come. Uh, We're going to try to do this on a Saturday morning. I'm wondering if you might come over and, and help me a little bit. Well, your buddy may say, well, that sounds uh, really good, but I got to tell you, I'm kind of busy that day. I can't come over there and help you, but I'll be with you in spirit. You know, that's all nice and everything, but that's not going to help me move the sofa, being with me in spirit. I need your body. I need you to be present. I need you to be active in order to get the job done. And when we read this and it tells us to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, it means we don't sit back and say, well, I'm with you in spirit. It means that we step up and say, here I am bodily to do what God is calling me to do, to fill this need, to fill this void, to make a difference. I am here bodily as a living sacrifice. I'm dead to myself. But I'm alive to what Christ wants to do. Here I am. And so the first thing is this. To serve one another effectively, we must see ourselves as living sacrifices. Secondly, to serve one another effectively, we must experience daily spiritual transformation. What we read is, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A spiritual transformation. And it needs to take place on a daily basis. Now here's what the world wants to do. The world wants to press us into its mold. I may sound like a, a, a bit conspiratorial here. That there's a world out there. There's some entity. Some, something out there that's trying to, to make us into something else. This is, this, is not, this is not science fiction folks. This is what the Bible teaches us. There's a pattern Of the world. There's a way of the world, a way of thinking and acting and responding that is completely different than the way of God. And so we are to respond. The world tells us, you know, if it feels good, do it. The world tells us to have it your way. As a matter of fact, what the world tries, the mold, if you will, the and you've seen cookie cutters and all these things. If you want to know the shape that our culture at least wants to press us into, it is the, the mold of consumerism. That is, that is by far, by far, the most prevalent mold in our culture. Is to get us to wear the right clothes, to drive the right cars, and to be dissatisfied with what you have. Now, folks, there is nothing wrong with having a shirt, with a little guy riding a horse, or an alligator, or an eagle. There's nothing wrong with that. But why are you buying it? Now, if, if I'm going shopping, you're probably going to find me at the clearance rack. You know, and if it's 80% or more off, that's even better, especially if I've got a coupon. You know, I want, I want to get it, but there are certain things that you buy that, you, that when I buy things, I want to buy them because I don't plan to buy another one for a long time. I have one suit. If it doesn't last 10 years, I'm going to be disappointed. Now, I paid for that suit. I bought a good suit. But the label's not on the outside. And I don't go around just kind of flashing it. Hey, would you like to see my suit? (laughs) Open up the lapel. Hey, there you go. Look at that. No, it's not about the labels. It's not about trying to impress people. It's trying to be a good steward when it comes to those resources. But what I want to tell you, and you know this instinctively. There's a mold of the world that's trying to press you into it that says you are a consumer. As a matter of fact, during some of the financial debate that took place a few years ago, the whole whole debate centered on one thing. How can we get Americans to consume? That's it. If Americans would consume, then we'd get out of this financial crisis. Of course, the only problem was there was no money to consume with, but that's beside the fact. Got to get you to be a consumer. That's why there are commercials on television. Want you to be a consumer. Is that what the Bible, is that the mold that we're supposed to fit in? No. In fact, what the Bible tells us is something starkly different. This is what Jesus said. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There's not an ounce of if it feels good, do it in that. There's not an ounce of have it your way in that. One thing flows from another. I'm a living sacrifice, and therefore, I'm going to experience a daily transformation in becoming more like Christ. And my will being being put, you know, he's becoming greater and I'm becoming less. Now, here's a question. And some of you are asking this in your own minds. What does it mean to be transformed? How do I get to this transformation? And the answer is very easy and very hard. The answer is easy in that I can tell you what it is. You experience spiritual transformation by spending time consistently, daily, and in quantities with the Lord. By reading His Word and by praying. Reading His Word and praying. Now, I'm not saying you become a monk or a nun and you move off and to, you know, get isolated from the world. It's not what God's called you to do. But if you want to experience spiritual transformation, you must be in the presence of God. And one of the reasons there's so little spiritual transformation is because our lives are filled with so many other things, there is no room for time with God. But when it happens, transformation happens. And we can resist being put into that mold. Third, To serve one another effectively we must have a realistic view of who we are in Christ what we read was to have to make a sober assessment that's the word that's the word that Paul uses here to make a sober assessment of ourselves now when we think of the word sober because of this translation we think of well that's kind of the opposite of drunk and that's exactly what Paul would have thought of too this is not a complicated word some of you, at some point in your life, have been somewhat to the point of being somewhat tipsy to being absolutely drunk. Okay? It's fact of life. Some of you have been there. And uh, maybe a lot of you have been there. And you know that if you've been drunk, then it gives you a different perspective on life. In other words, you don't evaluate your strengths and weaknesses, what you can do and what you can't do very effectively. That's why people drive when they're drunk, because they feel like, I can drive. That's why people do karaoke. Because they they got it in their minds after a few drinks that I can actually sing. So they step up to the microphone. And, and of course, now it makes it worse these days because someone's got their phone and they're recording it. And it'll be on YouTube very, very soon. But we lose that perspective of what we can do and what we can't do, what our strengths and weaknesses are. and, and, And Paul is saying to make a sober, sober assessment of yourself. Look at yourself realistically. See yourself for who you are. And that's going to have two aspects. One is you want to see yourself as a frail creature of dust, as one of my seminary professors put it. And that is I have weaknesses, I have faults, I have failures. But you also want to see yourself as a son or a daughter of the king of heaven. You want to see yourself as royalty. You want to see yourself as part of a holy priesthood. You want to see yourself of so much value and worth that God would send his own son to die on a cross for you. Now, if you are making a sober assessment of yourself, you've got to understand who you are in Christ. That can't be taken away. But you also understand what you're called to in the body of Christ. And this is the deal. You, being a son or a daughter of the king, Do not lower yourselves to serve others. It is your highest calling. It doesn't demean you to serve others. It is your calling. And when you do it, you follow in the footsteps of Jesus himself. Who on er a worldly scale lowered himself. But in the eyes of his father, elevated himself. The Bible says, if you exalt yourself, you're going to be brought down. You're going to be humble. But if you humble yourself, then he will exalt you. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul writes, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. And then he can take pride in himself, not a sinful pride, but but an appreciation of a job well done. He can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. For each one should carry his own load. In other words, you have a, a load that's fitting for you to carry. You don't shirk it off on anybody else. This is your load. This is your calling. This is what God wants you to do in your life. This is your aspect of service. So serve. Next to serve one another effectively, we must value our connection in the body of Christ. And Paul spends a lot of time here in Romans, spends a lot of times in Corinthians talking about the body of Christ. But as Americans, we value rugged individualism. You know the Indiana Jones movies. I mean, that's the kind of guy we want to be. When I was growing up, the guy that I most wanted to be was Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon, of course, I, he was much much taller than I was, and I, I questioned his taste with Miss Kitty, but that's another story entirely. Some of you watched Gunsmoke; some of you didn't. I can tell. But that's who I wanted to be because he was that rugged individual. He was that you know he made his own way. He he stood toe to toe, and he he'd fight, and yet he was a wise man, and and that's the kind of person you know I grew up wanting to be this rugged individual. And then I encountered the scriptures, and I realized. That there's something else here in the scriptures. As Christians, we're to value our inclusion in the body of Christ. We're not a bunch of rugged individuals. We're part of the body. This image of the body is very powerful. And the reason it is, is because each part of the body is is different. If you don't know that, then after church sometime today, check it out you'll find that all parts of your body are a little bit different. If you can stand it, go stand in front of a full-length mirror, absolutely buck naked. Um, I wouldn't sell tickets, but if you, could, just, uh, if you don't believe me, I'm saying, if you had not figured it out yet, the parts of your body are different. And yet they all function together, don't they? Somehow all these various different parts somehow function together. The ones you can see and the ones that you can't see. I was just talking to Melvin Tuck this morning. He's got muscles that are missing on one side of his head. And he's got these other muscles on the other side that are working. And so he's working to try to get his head to turn like this. And it's difficult because these muscles aren't there. Now, you and I, we're not having a problem with this. We can watch a tennis match. We can watch ping pong. It's no problem. For Melvin, it's a bit of a problem. He's having to turn his whole body to do that. Why? Because muscles over here working, muscles over here missing. So these have to compensate for those. That's the way it is with the body. Now, when Paul talks about the body of Christ, one of the things he tells us that is, it it absolutely blew my mind the first time I read it, was we belong to one another. That's the complete opposite of being a a rugged individual. I belong to me. Ah, it's all about me. No, I belong to the body of Christ. This is where I belong. And this is what's painful for those who are actively engaged in the body to watch people kind of drift off or fade away. Because you recognize that with those parts of the body gone, That hinders the effectiveness of the whole body. This is the picture that we have. Together, the body functions. And without each part functioning, we hinder the work. In 1 Corinthians 12, 21, we read, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Why? Because every part needs every other part part and if we're going to serve each other effectively we've got to recognize that we're part of the body next to serve one another effectively we've got to recognize our unique giftedness and use our gifts for a higher purpose here as pastor I cannot tell you in 20 years of ministry cannot tell you how many times that we've talked about gifts and talked about serving and I will have people that step up and say well I can't do anything folks you might believe that, but it's not true. Everybody can do something. Now, some people are saying that because they genuinely just don't see. Maybe they've been told all their lives that they're worthless and they don't have anything to add. Okay? Maybe that's it. Or maybe they're just trying to get out of doing something else, and the easiest excuse they can find is can't do anything. We, uh, Nancy and I were babysitting A long time ago, back in Texas, we didn't have any kids then, so we hadn't figured all this out. But Jeffrey came in, and he brought all his toys in, and he kind of dumped them all out on the floor. And it was time to pick things up. Well, we assumed that as adults that you just say, you know, pick those up. And it happens. Um, We figured out it doesn't even happen as teenagers as we got older. But here, here was the response. Now, he brought them out. He dumped them out. He played with them. And we say, you need to pick those up. And he looks at us and says, but I'm just a little boy. (laughs) Yeah, you're a little boy who drug them in here and dumped them out. You're a little boy who has the capability of putting them back in the box, in the basket, and taking them back where you got them from. But I'm just a little boy. I can't do anything. God made you. And God made you, you. He didn't make you someone else. He made you you. And he put these various aspects of you, who you are, together because he wanted you to be a part of the body of Christ. Every part matters. Even if you're the little toe on the body of Christ, believe me, you matter. And most of us are way above being little toes. We have a place to serve, a way to serve. And we need to use those gifts for a higher purpose. This is how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 12 as he talks about the body. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body, it would for not, not for that reason uh, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. You have something to give. I think I've told you about my grandmother before. My grandmother, when she was physically unable to do anything else, would get greeting cards and send them to everyone on the prayer list at her church, my church, and other people's churches. So much so that at Christmas time and birthdays, we bought her cards and stamps because we didn't want her to go totally broke buying these cards. And she put a simple message at the bottom of every card she sent God loves you, and so do I. God loves you, and so do I. She couldn't get around too much. She was getting weaker and frailer. And yet she said, I'm still an active part of the body of Christ. I may no longer be the liver or a lung. I may have shifted positions where now I'm a a little toe. But I got to tell you, I'm going to make a difference. And that leads us to the last point. And that is this, to serve one another effectively, we must just do it to serve one another effectively, we must just do it. The whole purpose of this I serve emphasis is not to have a theological debate on our place in the body of Christ. The whole purpose is to encourage you and challenge you and stir you up to action, stir you up to get on with it. This is how Paul put it. If a man's gift is prophecy, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. And if it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Whatever your gifts are, whatever your talents are, whatever your experiences are, you need to be willing to step up, take a chance, get involved, make a difference. Just do it. What are you waiting on? Just do it. Now, let me pause right here and ask you, you received this. You can't miss this because it's bigger than anything else you got this morning. And it says menu on it, and some of you got pretty excited. (laughs) Menu! We're having lunch today. Okay, let's see what I want. And you opened it up, and then you said, oh, that's not food. Where are the appetizers? Menu of community service opportunities. Now, I want to tell you right up front, this is not every service opportunity available in our community. As a matter of fact, uh, we, we contacted a number of uh, organizations and ministries and schools, and they responded. Some did not respond. Uh, the ones that didn't respond obviously aren't in here, uh, But uh, and we may get some additions to it. And what we're going to do is, uh, and as a matter of fact, I've asked Jason Murray to do this. If you are web-savvy enough to be able to go on our web page uh, in the not-too-distant future, you're going to have these opportunities available to you so that you can go and find them online and not have to worry about where you laid your piece of paper. And so these are the kind of opportunities we want to present to you. But if you'll notice on the inside, it's got uh, some of our schools are listed here, community service opportunities listed here. It has, I asked them simply, I said, can you give me eight things that you need volunteers to do? No more than eight. Some people listened, some people didn't. No more than eight. And then how we go about contacting you to follow up on this. And you see all kinds of different things here. Now the reason I put this in your hand today is because I can almost guarantee you that there's something here for everyone. Some things are on weekdays, some days. some things are on weekends, some's in morning, some's in the evening. Some require physical labor, some require just a little bit of mental input, some, all kinds of things. When we say, just do it, I didn't want you to say, do what? And what I want you to do is just take some time, not simply to read through this, but to pray through this. Because here's my heart's desire, and I'll just go ahead and tell you, I don't want to manipulate you, and I'm not going to manipulate you. But I see no excuse, if you're a member of Grace Fellowship, I see no excuse for you not have a place to, having a place to serve outside the body and inside the body. It's like respiration. We breathe in, we breathe out. Both are necessary. And I want to challenge you today. Some of you have a place to serve. Some of you are actively involved, for instance, in the jail ministry. Some of you are actively involved in, in Atlas. Some of you are actively involved in Habitat. Some of you are very involved at the local schools. Let me tell you what. There probably is no better place for you to be involved. That the local schools. I'm excited this week. I, get to, I, get, I start mentoring a new young man in the first grade, and my plan is to go all the way from first to fifth grade with him as his mentor. Now, you may kick me out after second grade. I don't know, but that's my plan because I think it'll be more effective for me just hit and miss here and there. I think it'll be more effective for me to spend a, you know, a consistent time with people. But that, that's, that's a calling that God's placed on my heart. It may not be God's calling on your heart. It may not fit into your schedule. But this at least gives you something to say, where do I start and who do I talk to right here? And some of the leaders, you see their names in here. Now, if you know of other ministries that did not respond to our request, or you know of other ministries that maybe we didn't even think to ask, then let us know or get us the information. We can add it to the website and we can keep that, try to keep that thing on a current basis so that you know what's needed. And we'll be happy to do that. Now, as we talk about this giftedness, if we talk about serving, let me wrap this thing up. Some of you are well aware that college football season has started. Have you noticed that? Yesterday, I endured an awful first half watching North Carolina get stomped by Louisville. I've never seen such ineptitude on the football field. I should have turned it off, but had I turned it off, I would have missed this incredible rally in the second half as North Carolina came within four yards of actually winning the game in the last minute of the game. I'd have missed all that. I, I, I enjoy college football. It is a great environment. Some of you get to go to some games. and it, it, it's, But there are various levels of commitment. There are various levels of investment that we make to college football. For some of you, the, the maximum investment you make is to carve out uh, three or four hours one, on a Saturday afternoon to uh, grab a glass of iced tea and a bag of chips and sit there and watch a football game. That's your, that's your investment in it. You don't invest a lot. You just carve out some time to watch a game. Maybe it's even a half of a game. Some of you are, are, are more invested in that you will actually buy a ticket or two, and you will go to some games during the season. You kind of pick, pick the best best games and you you want to go to those games and see those games and so you you're more invested some of you are invested enough to have season tickets to go watch your team play and you go rain or shine you are there you are there when they play podunkville and you're there when they play you know whoever's the, the big name on the board you're there you're invested in it you're ready to roll Some of you are even more invested, and that is, you not only go to all the home games, but you even buy the tickets for the away games, and you travel, and you go to these away games, and you spend big money, and and it's a big deal. Various levels of investment that you make as a fan, but your investment is nowhere near the investment of those men on the field. They have a totally different investment. They're in the game. You're in the stands. They're giving it everything they've got. You're giving it some time and some money and some passion. But they're going out there and risking life and limb on the field itself. If there's a problem in the modern church, it is this. We have too many, too many fans of Jesus. And too few followers of Jesus. Too many people sitting in the stands. And not enough people on the field. A lot of people who are unwilling to invest some. But few who are willing to invest all. And investing all is what it means to be a living sacrifice. If we're to have the same attitude that Jesus had, then we cannot afford to forget what we heard the first Sunday that we started this. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So am I a fan of Jesus, or am I a follower of Jesus? Am I a part-timer, or am I a living sacrifice? Will I seek what's best for me, or will I look around me and ask what's best for the body of Christ, what's best for our community? Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. Step up. Take a chance. Be the man. Be the woman. Fill the gap. Meet the need. And do it all for the glory of God.